What's up, everybody? This is Tanner from TanManBaseballFan.com. Today is Wednesday, January 13th, 2021. Um, if you recall a couple podcasts ago, what I talked about is how I wanted 2021 to be uh, characterized for me uh, as a year of helping other collectors um, in many ways. And so what's been fun over the past, gosh, couple of years, I think, um, I've been getting a lot of emails and private messages with questions almost on a daily basis. Uh, sometimes I'll get several emails or private messages when it comes to questions about uh, collecting or what cards they have or, or a direction that certain people should take, that sort of thing. Um, it's been enjoyable, but I think probably the way to best uh, maximize this to help everybody else in the hobby is to maybe talk a little more about this in the podcast. And this is actually something that was brought brought to my attention kind of more indirectly, I guess, uh, more or less by an email they received this morning. Um, it's by somebody named Travis. Uh, Travis asked for a shout out. So here you go, Travis. Uh, the last part of his email, um, he said, uh, I figured I would mention that I would love if you created a podcast in response to the questions I have in comments. Even a shout out would be neat. Thanks for all that you do in the card collecting world. Um, so Travis, here you go. Um, I am going to do a podcast based upon your questions. There were like about four comments that Travis had. And so a couple of them were mainly questions. So, uh, so what I'm going to say is I'm going to, I'll start by reading off the, uh, the intro it says, dear Tanner, I wanted to write you after having just listened to your podcast a few days ago and just start working a job that allows me to easily listen to music and podcasts while not sacrificing production and it is a great way to pass the time. First of all, y'all, I don't, I don't really, I couldn't imagine somebody wanting to listen to my voice over, you know, you know, anyone that actually produces high quality music, but <laughs> I'm very flattered. I appreciate that. Um, anyways, I've heard you mention uh, multiple times during various podcasts that you're always willing to hear from your listeners and maybe even answer some of their questions. So here I am. So the first one's comment. First off, I absolutely love the podcast and I hope that you can continue to make more in the future. I know I am late to the show. So at the moment, I'm still catching up. So hopefully the following questions I have aren't something that you've already created a podcast about. And, and so for everybody else listening, by the way, if I have or if I have not, a lot of the things I say probably should be repeated multiple times and maybe even modified uh, because uh, collecting this hobby, everything is like very fluid. So Plus, I ran into this issue whenever I would write articles. Uh, I would write an article back in 2016 or something, and and you know, in, in 2020 or 2019, I'd say, "Oh, I'd like to include this in an article," but no, I already covered it back in 2016. Come to find out, a boatload of new collectors, hobbyists, everything are now here that weren't there in 2016. Not to mention the fact that the vast majority of the hobby didn't read what I wrote in 2016. Um, so it's always good to, to, you know, have multiplication when it comes to, uh, you know, certain content. So I am definitely okay with repeating myself in various podcasts or articles I write, that sort of thing. So, so perfectly fine. Um, so the second thing that he mentioned was, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm really into digital cards, tops of bunt on my mobile device and wanted to get your take on digital cards in general. I know most card enthusiasts probably laugh at the whole idea of it, but I really enjoy the app nonetheless. So I would probably be in the the camp of laughing uh, a few years back and probably several years back. I actually wrote an article about 
uh, digital cards. And so a lot of it I really didn't get. I didn't understand the the appeal. And uh, but honestly, guys, like they've got some really cool things coming up in their apps. I do not uh, collect digital cards at all. I, I don't really care too terribly much for them myself. I I'm all about like the uh, you know actual physical cards. But man, it's it's a great way to supplement your collection. I mean, shoot, you can have some nice eye candy on your phone if you're just uh, you know hanging out somewhere at the airport or at a restaurant and you want to look at baseball cards on your phone, which you probably have a serious problem if that's what you're doing during uh, <laughs> during dinner with your family. <laughs> Hang on, let's let's stop this and let's look at baseball cards, uh, which by the way probably fits me to a T. Uh, so, anyways, the digital baseball cards—they've got a lot of interesting things going for them. I think they actually have uh, players signed digitally on them, which is kind of neat. They they limit them, and, and a lot of this stuff sounds kind of strange, like having a serial numbered card that's digital because it's digital. You can literally make an infinite amount of this image or whatever, but you know, you can have like a trading bank. Uh, it's probably not what it's called, but some of them are animated. Uh, there's a lot of neat things. I'm just not completely qualified to speak about, um, digital cards in 2021, but, um, you know, I would recommend looking at it at least and seeing what your thoughts are. And, and, uh, you know, cause there are some friends of mine that they'll show me cards of Canseco or, or some other collectors that they collect, uh, on, uh, on top spunt and they love them. You know, they just have a, they enjoy it. So there's a lot of other things we could be doing on the phones. We could be going on Twitter, Facebook, or, you know, if you're like me, uh, Bloons Tower Defense, I've played that with my family quite a bit. Uh, Clash of Clans, it used to be a game that we used to play quite a bit. Um, so, you know, if you add this to the lineup, I mean, I don't think I really want to be a proponent of, uh, of or an advocate of staying on your phone for longer than you probably are already are. But, um, you know, why not give it a try? See what your thoughts are. Um, that's uh, that. Is, so those are my thoughts on uh, Tops Bunt cards and digital cards. Um, so the next question is, after listening to one of your podcasts, I started thinking about something I, uh, something I wanted to start collecting and wanted to hear your thoughts on it. I pulled a black parallel, number 65, of 2016 Tops Series 1 Jose Bautista Bat Flip card from a standard pack. Really cool card. Um, I love that card, and I thought it would be really cool to have more of those parallels. That seems like a good middle of the road set to chase for some uh, for somewhat am- for a somewhat amateur collector like myself. Is it bad that I'm a few years late? Will this cause prices to be too high and make it unrealistic? I remember when the set first came out and there were lots of black parallels available, and now the ones that are available are certainly are certainly pricier uh, than what they would have been, which is what is semi-discouraging to me right now uh, when I'm collecting. Uh, thoughts on this from a general point of view? So first of all, I know that Topps Black cards, they they have a, a cult following. Um, there's, there's some people that love the Topps Black cards. I love the Topps Black cards. I don't really have too terribly many of them. Of course, my collection is basically limited to Conseco. So I've got uh, you know, his 2003, four and five tops retired black cards and, you know, a retired, uh, 2004 tops black retired signature refractor, um, which is probably my most favorite refractor autograph ever. Um, 
So, you know, it's completely understandable why uh, some of these black cards uh, are loved so much. So number 65, they're, you know, certainly not impossible to, you know, to get. But <laughs> that means that some of these guys, like from certain sets, like Gang of Black could be impossible. Like if there were a Trout Rookie, for example, or, you know, maybe a Cooney or something. So those are those are going to be, you know, serious, serious, serious money. Um, a lot of times what you might want to do perhaps in this situation is maybe go after a subset of tops black or something like, so that means maybe, maybe do a team set, like maybe if your favorite team or maybe just a few of your favorite players or something. Um, and I, I think I'm a big advocate for doing something like that instead. There's, you know, there are a lot of people that collect sets and, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's, it's, you know, actually something I love seeing other people do. I love seeing people collect complete sets and, and actually complete them. Um, it's really cool. It's fun for them to be able to show off and finish this, you know, this monumental feat and everything. So, you know, to answer your question though, um, you know, is it too late? No, it's, it's never really too late uh, to do something like this. It is going to be significantly more difficult because especially when it comes to break culture now um, with all these breakers out there, the product is uh, is unloaded and unleashed in such a fury at such a furious pace within the first several weeks. It's crazy. So, um, you know, that stuff can dry up pretty quickly. Um, however, that said, um, in order to have a you know spectacular collection, you have to do something spectacular, um, spectacularly difficult. Um, so, you know, this could be a long haul thing. Maybe it's a Maybe it's a goal for, you know, one year, two years, five years. I, I don't know. I, I simply don't know a whole lot about the Topps Black cards um, in their market. But that is one thing that you want to kind of probably take a look at. I've got on my uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Tanman Baseball Fan, uh, a few strategies that you could use to actually uh, check sales prices to make sure that you're not overpaying. Um, but I do like the serial number out of 65 much more than, you know, if you're going after, say something that's like out of 50, 25 or 10. I mean, that's, that's crazy talk right there. If you're going for a complete set that way, <laughs> there are some people that do it and I wish them all the best. And I love watching people do that. It's, it's pretty cool, uh, to see, uh, to see them go to completion. But, um, so those are my thoughts on that. Uh, I don't think it's unrealistic. There are people that do, all kinds of crazy things. And, and, you know, the, the key is to enjoy the journey, you know, enjoy the process of it, not just the, uh, the destination. So if you, if you enjoy being able to pick up these cards and, and you love picking up, uh, you know, <laughs> any one of these, uh, you know, common players or of the tops black, if that brings you enjoyment each time, then yeah, go for it for sure. Um, so the next question is, um, I find that most of my favorite players aren't necessarily Hall of Famers like McCutcheon, D. Gordon, Dexter Fowler, etc. But I really enjoy collecting those cards still. Uh, obviously, these cards will never miraculously become valuable. Uh, so in that respect, am I just wasting my money collecting these? Just feels like I'm throwing money at something uh, knowing there is no chance at an ROI. Uh, not that that's what I'm all about or anything, but still, these guys are pretty much at the end of their career, and in a couple of years, we'll probably hardly hear about them again, which is sad. Thoughts on this? So, um, thanks to the card companies, 
we will probably never forget about these guys. <laughs> so each one of them, McCutcheon, Gordon, and Fowler, they all have a uh, a decent sized following. Um, so Tops, Panini, Leaf, they will likely all resurrect these guys over and over and over again. It might be a few years after they um, uh, after they retire till they bring them back, but there'll always be a lot of cards in them. And so the great thing about collecting these guys as well um, in this day and age is that there's so many to choose from. And so I've talked about this before. We don't necessarily have to go, uh, you know, we shouldn't necessarily look at uh, collecting as we did in the 80s and 90s. It's it's no longer a situation where we can buy every single card out there. We have to look at this more as a buffet. Um, and what I mean by that is there are thousands of cards. There are thousands of cards of these guys that are released. Um, in fact, I think, I don't, my, my numbers could be wrong. I think Canseco and Maguire both might've had like a hundred or 200 or something crazy one of ones alone that were released back in 2020. Um, yeah, it's impossible. It is like, even if you had all the money in the world, you simply could not get all of them because a lot of these cards will not be opened ever, or they will be opened by people that just aren't internet privy and they don't know how to you know post cards online and don't have an interest in selling. Um, so, uh, so if we look at this collection at, at this, uh, collecting landscape as more of a buffet, um, to pick up the cards that we want that that really catches our eye. Um, I think that's that's key there. So when it comes to uh, getting cards, like I never really buy that many cards thinking uh, with any expectation whatsoever that they're going to increase in value down the road. So that's just me personally. The way that I buy is I, I try to make sure that I buy right. And so what that means is being patient. It means researching the prices. So let's say, for example, you're looking for an Andrew McCutcheon um, Superfractor. I have a buddy who is, uh, this, uh, shout out to Brian over there. He uh, he actually had me do a, a dreadlock uh, custom of Andrew McCutcheon. <laughs> and we got a video of, of McCutcheon signing it and everything too. And uh, it was great, great fun. We love that. Um, but let's let's just say, for example, an Andrew McCutcheon Superfractor. I have zero clues how much the, that card costs. Let's say... $200 or something. And let's say they have, uh, they've made 30 of the, of the super fractors. Again, I just don't know. I'm just, uh, just an example. So if you have a $200 Andrew McCutcheon out there, uh, super fractor that's sitting out there. Um, and you notice that the prices have typically been trending around 300 or so, then I think that's a decent buy, you know, because there's probably not a whole lot that's going to make him tank unless they find out that he's a steroid user or something like he's pretty well established now. Um, and I don't think people are, are going to soon forget him either. Um, but uh, let's say if the card is uh, $300 and all the others sell for 300, then you, know, you kind of got to be okay with if he does lose out in his memory, in memory of uh, collectors and, and it goes down to 250 or something like that. You, you got to be okay with, with taking that hit if you want that card. Um, so and of course, you know, if you find one that's 150 or hundred dollars, then, then yeah, I mean, for me personally, um, if the others are selling for two or 300, then I think that's a good deal. So, so, so the, the ultimate response for, for me on this is not necessarily to, to look for cards to increase like this, because the, the cards that increase a lot that I, that I can see are going to be uh, vintage, which I love, of course, and uh, the newer guys these rookies that all of a sudden like catch fire or something. 
Um, I'm not really into that at all. So I, I can't really speak too well um, with any sort of knowledge on that. But um, but yeah, the trick is to, to basically just buy rights to begin with. Um, and, and that does take uh, some uh, serious time investment on your behalf when it comes to researching how much things have sold for. And, and you know, of course, there's a little bit of uh, an art to it. It's not just science because there are some cards out there that will not have sales history. So you've got to check, um, you know, parallels and perpendiculars. You got to check the, uh, the cards that are similar um, of the same player. And you've got to uh, check cards of different players that are similar as well of that same card. Uh, that will help you gain a better understanding of the value of the card itself. It's not always a, a you know foolproof way of doing it. You know sometimes you just have to go by uh, what your gut tells you. But um, yeah, just uh, so those two words there: research and patience. That's the best way to collect. And and the idea is that um, to buy in no matter what you buy, you always want to be able to buy at a price where you can at least break even down the road. Um, and hopefully make a, a few dollars extra. Um, so those are my thoughts. I mean, I would say that's a, that's a great roadmap for guilt-free collecting of any of the guys. Like you can make money. Look, if I can make money off of Jose Canseco, I think anybody can make money off of any player really. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think it, you have to have like a super hot player to make money on it. The, the trick is, uh, and I think they say this in real estate also, the way you, the, the time that you make money is based upon the actual uh, purchase price itself. That's where the money's made. So that way, whenever you sell it down the road, um, you know, hopefully you'll have uh, been able to have made a profit uh, if you, uh, if you bought right. So um, that does it for this. I think those are all the, all the questions. I, I hope I answered them all. I hope that's uh, helpful to you. Um, and so guys, for everybody else that's listening, if you have questions, send them to me, tanmanbaseballfan at gmail.com. I might actually do a feature podcast or uh, or mention them somehow on my podcast as well. And um, if you have questions, then, you know, outstanding. I would love to be able to help you as well as uh, hopefully use those questions that you have to help others. Uh, thank you guys again for listening and I hope you all have a great day.